This morning, we're going to be reading from the book of Genesis. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 13. I think I put 1 through 12 up on the screen. I apologize. This church is very organized, and I am less so. So when they asked, I hadn't quite revised things perfectly yet, but um, that's where we're going to be reading. Before we take a look at this passage, uh, I want to take a moment and just explain where we are in the greater narrative of Scripture. So scripture can kind of be broken down into four main parts. The first part we have is creation. That's where God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the oceans and the land, everything in them and everything on them. And everything that he created was good. And he creates man and woman and everything he creates is good. So that's the first part of scripture. Then we have fall. And that's where mankind falls into sin and fractures that creation. And all of that creation is stained from that point on by the sin of the fall. After that, we have redemption. That's when Jesus Christ returns and redeemed us to himself and paid the debt for the sin of man. And then eventually we will have restoration. And that's when God will return, when Jesus will return and he will restore everything to its good state, its perfect state. So that's where, those are the four parts of scripture. Where we're going to be picking up this morning is right after chapter two, right after creation. So in chapter 2, we read about God making Adam, God making uh, Eve, him making the entire creation, and then it ends with, they were both naked, and they did not feel ashamed. So we're ending right at the end of the creation story, and we're going to pick this up in our reading in chapter 3. Before we read God's word, let's come before him in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity that we have to sit under your word, to read your will and determine from it your will for our lives. And Father, I pray that as we endeavor to do that, that you would give give us open hearts, that we would hear what it is that you're speaking to us through this. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1 to verse 13. And if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open it because we're going to be We're going to be going through this text in a little more detail through the sermon. Sorry, I should have opened this before. Good thing Genesis is an easy one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, the woman you put, me here, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a lot younger, I made an interesting discovery. I discovered that if you take a stone or a sharp piece of gravel from the ground and you rub it up against your dad's truck, it'll take the paint right off and you can turn that truck into your own mural or your own canvas and you can paint whatever you want on it. And I thought this was a pretty cool discovery, so I did this. I spent probably an hour scratching everything into the side of my dad's truck. Now, my dad didn't think this was an interesting discovery. In fact, he was pretty mad about it. So he lined up my brothers and my sister and I in the kitchen, and he said, someone is going to tell me right now who scratched the side of my truck. Now, at that point, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what the right thing to do was. The right thing to do was to come forward and say, it was me. I did that. I scratched the side of the truck. But I also knew that if I did that, I was going to get in trouble. I knew that there were repercussions, there were consequences for my actions, and so I didn't do that. I stayed quiet. Now the next week, we were supposed to go camping, and we weren't a family that took a lot of vacations when we were younger, so we were all very excited to go camping. So my dad said, if nobody confesses, if nobody fesses up to who scratched the side of my truck, then we're not going to be going camping next week. And so again, I knew what the right thing to do was. I knew that I was supposed to confess. I was supposed to fess up and say it was me. I knew that if I didn't do that, I was going to ruin this family vacation. I was going to ruin this experience for my brothers and sister and I. But I didn't do that because I was afraid of the repercussions. Now, my brother, he really, really wanted to go camping. And he was afraid that if nobody confessed that we weren't going to go. And so he actually fessed up to something he didn't do. He said, I did it. It was me. Now, I tell you that story because I was willing to let someone else take the fall for something that I had done. I was willing to lay blame on somebody else for something that I had done wrong. But in my defense, I'm not unique. I'm not the only one. As we read in our story this morning about Adam and Eve, it's clear that passing blame or allowing someone else to take the fall for something we did is something that has existed as long as sin has existed in the world. Now, before we go on and before you guys think, man, this terrible guy who's preaching here, my dad was a very wise man. And so when my brother fessed up, my dad said, no, you didn't. We're the wise. If you want to get away with something like that, don't scratch your name in the side. They'll know it was you. (laughs) But we're talking about laying blame this morning. We're talking about allowing someone to take the fall for us. So let's go into our story and let's try to understand this a little bit deeper. So verse 1 through 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So here we have the serpent entering our story for the first time. This is the first time that a serpent is mentioned in Scripture, and he asks Eve specifically, What is it that God has commanded you regarding this tree? Now, this is important for our understanding. It's important for us to understand this in the story because it shows us that Adam and Eve knew what God had commanded them about this tree. 
This wasn't a sin by accident. This wasn't a sin by ignorance. This wasn't a mistake that they didn't realize that they were making. Adam and Eve knew that God had commanded them not to eat this fruit. And so in doing this, they knowingly disobeyed God. The serpent said, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. Now, one interesting part that caused me to kind of pause in my study of this passage was in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, When the woman saw the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eye and desirable to make one wise. When she saw. Now, remember where we are in the story. We're kind of past the creation part of the story. Jesus or God said to Adam and Eve, you guys are in charge of this garden. You're here in this garden. You're supposed to take care of it. You can have access to anything in the garden. You can eat from any trees in the garden except for this one. So some time has passed since they've had access to the whole garden. And yet in verse 6, we read, When she saw, it seems as though Eve is actually looking at this tree and actually seeing this tree for the first time. They've had full access And now we read that Eve may not have even seen this tree until this point. I think that says something really important about the necessity and the importance of us guarding our hearts. Adam and Eve knew that this tree was off limits. They knew it was a temptation. They knew it was a sin. And so they didn't even look at the tree because they didn't want to be tempted. They didn't even gaze upon the tree to see what temptations it offered. Can we say the same thing? In this day, in this age, in this culture, we kind of relish in the, in the reality that anything that is permitted, anything that's allowed, is okay for us to do. And so we spend so much time towing the line between what is okay and what is against the rules. And when we do that, when we tow the line, then we're gazing upon forbidden fruit. When we toe the line between enjoying drinks with friends or colleagues and being a drunkard, we're gazing upon forbidden fruit. When we toe the line between a natural romantic progression in a relationship and sexual immorality, we're gazing upon forbidden fruit. If all the time we spend our time right at the edge of what is allowed, then our next step is always going to be sin. Maybe there's wisdom and not gazing at the fruit. Maybe there's wisdom in staying back from the tree. And maybe there's wisdom about setting up fences around the things that are most important to us. But we'll get to that a bit later. We continue in verse 8. The man and his wife, so they, they, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here is where we see our major shift, our first major shift in the story of Scripture. Remember the four parts? We were in creation, and now we have shifted into the fall. Because we see Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who were created by God, who spent time with God, who spent time walking with God in the garden, spent time talking with God, in fellowship with God, in the real physical sense. They were able to walk through the garden with their creator. And in one verse, 
we see them completely ashamed of what they have done, so ashamed of what they've done that they can't even bear being in the presence of God. They hear God coming, the creator of the universe, and their reaction to that, to hearing him, is that they run and they hide. How far did we fall as God's creation? In one verse, we went from being able to spend time with God, not just in prayer, but physically, together, spend time with God in his perfect creation. And now the shame of sin is so great that Adam and Eve can't even bear to see him, and so they hide. But of course they can't hide from God. God is omniscient, but he still wants to invite them into his presence. He still wants to be in relationship and fellowship with them. So rather than forcing himself into their presence, which he could have done, he's God, rather than do that, he calls out. In verse 9, he says, where are you? God, even though he must know at this point that they've fallen into sin, all-seeing, all-knowing, he must know that they ate that fruit. He still calls out to them and invites them to be in relationship with him. Then in verse 10, he answered, he being Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam tells God, I was naked, so I hid. That's why you can't find me. That's why you have to call out to me. But Adam doesn't explain why he's naked. He doesn't say we hid because we're naked, or he says we hid because we're naked. He doesn't say we hid because we ate the fruit of the tree. We did the one thing that you told us not to do, and now we know we're naked. He doesn't confess. He doesn't tell God, yes, we messed up. We did that thing we weren't supposed to. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't repent. And so God asks, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now again, God knew the answer to this question before he asked it. He knew they had eaten from the tree, but God allows Adam one more opportunity, one more chance to come clean. But as we read in verse 12, he doesn't. Rather than come clean and and tell God what he's done and tell him that he messed up and he disobeyed, rather than do that, rather than answer the straightforward question, he blames somebody else. He says, the woman, the woman that you put here with me, She gave me the fruit and I ate. With the perfect opportunity to come clean, the perfect opportunity to repent to God and confess and say I'm sorry, rather than do that, Adam says the woman and blames the woman and then not only blames the woman, he says the woman that you put here with me, God, I wouldn't have sinned if you hadn't put this woman here with me. With the perfect opportunity to come clean and confess to God, Adam lays blame on God and on Eve. And so God turns to the woman and says, what is this that you have done? Eve responds in the same way that Adam did. She lays blame on someone else. She says, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the story of the fall of mankind. This is the story of our fall into sin. We have a God who gave us a creation to live in and take care of, a God who gave us a creation that can sustain all of our needs, gives us everything that we need. And rather than listen to his instructions, rather than accept the wonderful gifts that he gives us, we gaze upon forbidden fruit. We gaze upon fruit that we know we're not supposed to eat. We fall into sin. But that's not where the story ends. That's not where the story of sin and the story of 
the fall ends. See, God still wants us to be in fellowship with him. God still calls us into relationship with him. God called out to the garden, in the garden, God called out to Adam and said, where are you? And then provided him with multiple opportunities to come clean about his sin, but Adam, and by extension us, we are so damaged by our sin. We are so totally depraved by our sin that we can't even come before God in true, humble, genuine repentance and confession. Instead, we do our best to hide from the consequences of our sin. We do our best to lay blame on other people instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. I know that this is the story of Adam and Eve, but this is the story of us as well. I mentioned at the beginning a story of a time when I let someone else take the blame for something that I had done. And it's probably unfair that I used a story from when I'm a little kid so I can say, oh, I was just a little kid then. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have similar stories. We have stories where we didn't take full responsibility for something that was our fault. Maybe, maybe you slacked off one day and your, your work group got punished for it and you didn't take responsibility for it. Maybe it's as simple as you blaming something else for the sin that you keep returning to. Maybe you keep returning to the same sin over and over and over again and you justify it and you say, well, culture influences me or media influences me or any other thing. Part of the nature of our fallen state is running from the consequences of our sin and laying blame on anyone but ourselves. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this problem? How do we live in a way so that we don't sin? And when we do sin, we are repentant, and we confess, and we feel sorry, and we ask for forgiveness. How do we do this? Well, the first part of the answer, the simplest part of the answer that I would provide is we know that we're not supposed to eat the fruit on the tree. So don't look at the tree. See, too often we treat our Christian lives as a, as, a, as a rule book, as a list of rules. We have over here, this is our list of things that we have to do because we're Christian. And over here we have this list of rules that we don't, or the things that we do not do because we're Christian. And to a certain extent, that's true. That is true. As Christians, we're called to live a certain way and we have rules that the world doesn't, uh, does that we, we believe we ought not do and we have a list of rules that we do that the world doesn't think we need to do. So part of that is true. But what I want to suggest is why don't we just ensure that in every single thing that we do, we live lives of holiness. Rather than saying, okay, over here is my Christian life and this is how I act and what I do and how I conduct myself when I'm in the church, when I'm uh, at, at a worship service or when I'm in gems or cadets or youth group or consistory or any other thing. And then, you know, for the rest of the time, I follow these rules, but the rest of the time I conduct myself differently because I'm at work, it's a different part of my life, or I'm in sports or whatever other parts of your life there are. But rather than doing that, why don't we try to make sure that in all aspects of our lives, we try to live lives of holiness? Now, this can be easier said than done. And so I want to suggest three ways that we can be intentional about living lives of holiness in all aspects of our lives. Not just here in the church, but in our work, in our leisure activities, in sports, and anything else. The first thing is reject passivity. Passivity is the acceptance that whatever happens, happens without an active response or an active resistance. So pa passivity is essentially being lazy and not having a proactive approach. Now Eve, in our story this morning, she seemed to have a proactive approach, right? 
She wasn't supposed to eat the fruit of the tree, so she wasn't looking at it. She wasn't spending time gazing upon the fruit. She wasn't looking at those temptations. It was a proactive approach. In the same way, we need to be proactive about avoiding temptation. And I think one of the ways that we do that is we set up fences around the things that we struggle with. Maybe if you struggle with alcohol, you say, okay, I'm not going into the bar. That's the fence that I've set. Maybe if you struggle with pornography, you say, okay, I'm not going to have access to those sort of materials where I'm, when I'm by myself, so you set up that fence. Maybe you don't want to work on Sundays or you think you shouldn't work on Sundays, but you do anyway, so you need to leave your phone in another room on Sunday so that you're not tempted to look at work emails, and so you set up a fence. And this is difficult to do because we can kind of stray into legalism. And I don't really have time to get into to legalism all that deeply. But legalism is essentially treating the rule like the law. And so all of a sudden you set up these fences and then all of a sudden there's a rule that you can't go into a bar. And that's legalism because there's nothing essentially wrong with going into a pub to enjoy a drink with a friend. But if you turn that rule into the law, then that's legalism. And so there is a bit of a risk when you set up these fences that you get into a more legalistic nature. But I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, the problem in the church right now is not legalism. We're not so legalistic that we're worshiping the rules rather than worshiping God. We have the opposite problem, I think, if we're being honest with ourselves. We don't have as great a respect for the laws of God as we used to. And so I think it's important for us to set up fences around our temptations are. Whatever your temptations are, whatever fence you need to set up, be proactive in it. Don't be passive about your sin. Don't be passive about your temptations. Reject passivity and plan an attack on your sin. That's the first one. The second one is accept responsibility. And this one can be so hard. Not just for us, but for Adam and Eve in our story and for everyone throughout all of, all of time. When we sin, and of course we're going to sin, you can set up these fences, you can do all of these things, but we will still fall short. When we sin, we avoid it as best we can. We avoid it by forgetting about it in our own mind and not thinking about it again and not remembering that we committed that sin. We avoid it by cleaning up the evidence. We avoid it by avoiding the consequence of what we did wrong by any means necessary. In our fallen state, it almost seems like a reaction. As soon as we do something wrong, our first thought is, how do I make sure that I don't have to pay the consequence for what I did? I think that we need to take intentional steps to be accountable and to take responsibility for our sins. And this can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but I think one of the greatest ways that we do that is with accountability partners. A brother or a sister in Christ that you love and that you trust and that you can share your struggles with and go to them and say, look, I have this sin, I have this struggle, and I keep going back to it over and over again. And you can talk to one another and work through it and in that way, we kind of fulfill the biblical model of what two brothers in Christ are supposed to look like. Steel can sharpen steel. And the church can hold one another accountable, which is part of what the church is supposed to do. Whatever it looks like for you, accept responsibility for your sin. If you're rejecting passivity and you're planning an attack on your sin and you're accepting responsibility, then the next step is to come before God in true, humble, genuine confession and repentance. This is the part that we didn't see in our story. 
Adam and Eve didn't, we don't see them even acknowledge that they have done anything wrong. We don't see them say that they're sorry for their sin. We don't see them repent or ask for forgiveness. And I don't know if it would have changed the story if they did. I don't know if that would have changed the, the, the final outcome of them being in the garden. I doubt it. But we didn't see them do that. And that's an important part of what we're called to do. Repentance is a huge part of what we're called to do as Christians. We see that all throughout Scripture. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Do you not realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Repentance, knowing that you have sinned, confessing that sin to God, and then coming to God and saying, I'm sorry for that sin, please forgive me, is a part of how we live in gratitude. It's a part of how we live in thankfulness to the kindness that God has shown us. Reject passivity, accept responsibility. Come before God in true, genuine, humble repentance. And then the fourth one is know that you're forgiven. I know I said three, but I revised it again. Sorry, it's four. Know that you're forgiven. The shame that Adam and Eve felt for their sins got in the way of them being able to fellowship with God in the literal sense. Remember, they were able to walk in the garden, physically be with God, talk with God, walk with God, spend time with him. They were able to do that, but it was the shame of their sin that kept them from doing it. God still called out to them. He still said, where are you? He still invited them into his presence. But it was the shame of their sin, their shame, that stopped that from happening. They had the opportunity to be in the garden with the creator. But their shame wouldn't let them do it. And that's still true today. God still calls us into relationship with him. God still calls us into fellowship with him. Yes, it looks a little bit different. But sometimes the shame that we feel stops us from coming to God. The church in, in its history, at different times in history, and I'm not trying to... The church has had faults over the years, always. And it does now. But at times the church put a, a heavier emphasis on guilt. It was an agenda to make sure you feel guilty for the thing that you've done. You know that you sinned and you feel shame. But Jesus Christ didn't pay the price of our, the, the debt of our sin. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, right? The word who was with God in the beginning, that's Jesus. The word through whom everything was created. Jesus Christ became the thing that he created, came down to earth, humbled himself, became the thing that he created, man, and allowed man to kill him. He died on the cross after living the perfect sinless life, so he didn't actually have to die. He didn't actually have to pay that price. But he did all of that to wipe out your sins and my sins. And he didn't do that so that you would have a chain around your leg for the rest of your life. Jesus didn't pay the debt for your sins so that you would be torn apart from fellowship with him. He didn't do that so you would feel like you're not worthy to come to him. Jesus Christ paid the debt for your sins so that you could be reconciled. He did it so that we could be in fellowship with God again. He was fixing it. He was fixing the problem. He was fixing the fall. Don't let the shame that you feel from your sin stop you from entering into fellowship with God. Don't let the things of your past make you feel like you're not worthy to come into the presence of God. It's not true. 
And that's not why Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sins. He didn't pay the debt so that we would be separated from him. He paid it so that we would be reconciled to him. In seeking lives of holiness, reject passivity, plan an attack on your sin, accept responsibility when you do sin, come before God in true, humble, genuine confession and repentance, and know that you are forgiven. We know that we're forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. It's the redemptive work on the cross that allows us to come into fellowship with God. He wiped away the sin for that reason. So the question I want to ask is, have you accepted that gift? Because make no mistake, it is a gift. I talked about legalism today, and we're we're talking about living lives of holiness and, and doing our best not to sin, but I want to be clear. The reason we do that is not so that we can earn our way into heaven. There's nothing that you can do to get enough merit points to earn your way into heaven. We're not living lives of holiness because that's gonna make, that makes us feel more worthy to enter into heaven. We are all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of what we're called to do. You cannot earn your way into heaven no matter what you do, no matter how well you listen to sermons or how much time you spend in church or how much time you spend counseling people in, in the ministries that you do. What we are given is a gift freely given by Jesus Christ, not earned, a gift freely given. Have you accepted that gift? I think too often in the church, as preachers, we kind of assume that everybody who's sitting in the pews listening to us has accepted that truth, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior. But it's not always true. Scripture is clear that anybody that confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a gift on the table freely given for complete forgiveness of all of our sins so that one day we might be reconciled to God fully not just redeemed, but reconciled back into that perfect state. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the glory of heaven that we get to experience one day, is fellowship with God. And by the way, that's what heaven is. Heaven is an eternity in the presence of God. That's what makes heaven great. And in fact, if God wasn't in heaven, it wouldn't be worth going to. That's the gift we have right in front of us. Have you accepted that gift? Have you accepted the salvation offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do it today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we read about your creation and we read about your, your perfect creation, everything that you created and how it was good, including us, Father. And then we read about our fall into sin. We read about us gazing on the forbidden fruit and eating the fruit, even though we know that that was not your will for us and that was your command for us not to do. And so, Father, I pray that whatever our temptation is, whatever tree that we gaze upon, that you would identify those things, that the Spirit would convict us of those things and that we would actively try to avoid those things, Father. 
we thank you that when we do fail and when we do fall short, that Jesus Christ paid the debt for all of our sins so that we may be redeemed and that we could be in fellowship with you once again. We thank you for that amazing gift, Father. That gift that we don't deserve in any way, that gift that we cannot earn, but a gift that you have freely given to each of us. Father, I pray that we would accept that gift and that there were any that were considering that gift or maybe haven't fully accepted or received that gift, Father, that your spirit would also convict them and tug on their hearts and that they would submit, Father, to your will and they would submit to receiving that gift, the gift of an eternity in the presence of God the Father. We long for that time we long for the time when once again we can walk through your perfect creation with you. We thank and praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. With that knowledge in our hearts, that knowledge of the amazing gift of Jesus Christ and our fall and and are the redemptive work of our Savior, in the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, our appropriate response is to worship him. So let's rise now and sing before the throne of God above.